Everybody, welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today we are talking about season two, episode 15, Paradise. Mike, how you doing? It is not paradise today, Keith. It's raining the dickens outside. It's cold mm. as butt and... Mm, butt cold. Butt cold. I want a quick reminder at the top. Keith and I are going to talk for like 20 minutes before we ever start talking about the episode proper. So if you 100%. hate us and these shrill voices coming to you now in 5.1 Dolby Digital Surround, uh, you don't have to listen to it. Uh, below there are timestamps for every show we do, just so you know. Keith, I'm doing good. How are you, buddy? Well, not as salty as you are this morning. <laughs> I got to get the second cup in, baby. I know, me too. Well, the, the little peek behind the curtain this morning. So here's, so our, our plan was to record at eleven in the morning, uh, which is early for us. But you know, Mike's got he's got a show he's got going on, and so uh, at about uh, you know a little after ten, Mike's like, "Hey, I want to go do all this other stuff. Let's go at 12. And I'm like, "Okay, great." I had a plan to be ready at eleven. I was going to eat some breakfast, take a shower, do a little email or whatever. So. Uh, you know, I get the 1010 wave off. So I'm like, okay, great. Relax, start doing some work. I don't shower. I don't start eating. And then at like 1031, Mike's like, let's do it now. I mean, I'm not sure that was my inferred tone, but. So uh, all of a sudden, now I'm unprepared. We're actually starting at the at the regular time, but I'm all fakakta because. This, well, this... Keith, I was going to go to the gym, but then I went to pee and I looked, looked in the mirror and I was like, what's the goddamn point? Let's just do the show. <laughs> I'm perfect already. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, you look good. I mean, good. I believe the text was, I'll lift later. Bro, do you lift? <laughs> I do, man. Uh, two, three times a week. Oh, my God. You, wow. can't, you can't fill out this medium t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. I, I literally walk into my little apartment complex gym hoping all the machines are taken up so I can be like, oh, well, I tried. You know? <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, the, the the reason I bought a house is because there's no gym in it. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, Keith, excited to talk about this episode. Ooh, Watched it with yeah. the patrons last night and uh, had some severe deja vu. Really? It, it gave me all kinds of vibes of that episode with Kira. Remember where she goes to the moon to, like, kick off that old man? And he's like, I'm not going. Let's make some stew. And then we talked. Ah. And then they, like, made a fire. And then that was the end. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. I feel like they use the same set too. Uh, well, Griffiths Park. Well, I know actually because the the Kira episode um, progress mm -hmm. that was shot on a soundstage. Oh, I, and I, you know what? Their primary set probably was too, but they they spend most of the time in Griffith Park. But uh, yeah, and I, I have I still don't quite know how I feel about it, uh, which is never particularly a great sign. Uh, so no. here we go. We'll we'll find yeah, out well, today. We're, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about all of it, but. Before we do, Mike, who watched with you yesterday? Uh, Keith, you can always watch every episode along with me on our Patreon page uh, with these fine folks. They are the patrons, Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Cloud Lover 69 you're still paying, mm. bro. Jason Moe, <laughs> Andrew Hayes, Jorge Navoa, and the Mysterious You're still bro. The Mysterious Anne. Worf's boot shivs. You know, Charles did ask for us to take his name. He does not want his real name, uh... 
underneath Worf's boot shivs. He doesn't want people to oh. know it's him, Keith. Oh, oh, I didn't get that. So if you're a patron and you ask us something, we'll do it a couple months later. CRM Productions, Charles, that's basically the, the whole vibe of our patrons. Well, only Mike gets the notifications <laughs> on the true. patrons. And, and, and he could notify me. Yeah. I just assume you do nothing else but sit and wait for emails. <laughs> I don't even I don't even get notifications. At Grim, oh, it's gonna be a, a doozy today, folks. Oh at my God. Grim underscore toys delusions at noon. And our newest patron, Eric Wilson. Yeah, I hope I hope it's worth it, buddy. Um I'll tell no. you what is worth it. I posted just this yeah. week the uh, book one of Star Trek Restoration, the spec. Uh, screenplay turned graphic novel that I wrote. Uh, it's a it's a graphic novel with no graphics. It it's is just laid out for like for that alone. You should look at it because like there's a there's a spec image at the top that Keith puts like seven disclaimers on. It's like this isn't mine. This is just mm-hmm. for the vibes. Mm-hmm. And then you start to read an actual comic with like comic font and the towels. It's like fully there, but there are just zero pictures. It's like just zero really. Pictures. But Mike, you shouldn't read it. It's full of spoilers. Uh, oh, I trust me, I did not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was safe without doing that disclaimer because I knew for full well you weren't going to read it. Um, but that's not all you get. Keith and I throw stuff up there uh, all the time, but also we watch some episodes. Well, we've watched one episode of The Next Generation. We're going to get back to that. We watched two episodes of the Star Trek The Animated Series, which are very loose and fun episodes. Check those out. And As we opposed do some, to our tight ones. Yeah, right. We do some unboxings. We've got some fun stuff in store uh, moving into the new year when Keith and I uh, really just shed the rest of the friend we have and, and just do this all the time. So uh, uh, yeah. welcome 2023. Uh, join us, patreon.com slash K and M. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, before I, I – I'm not going to jump into a commentary about what it's like to uh, still be in the city at 40. Uh because there's nobody left. Everybody else left. Uh, but yep, we won't, boop, we're not going to do that. Boop. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel today. Uh, however, we are going to talk about Deep Space Nine Season 2, Episode 15, Paradise, which aired on February 13th, 1994, the cold season of 94. February 14th? 13th. Oh, not quite 13. Valentine's Day. It wasn't quite Valentine's Day, which uh, would have made no difference to fourteen-year-old Keith. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, you know, it's a it, it, that's a that's a pattern that that continued for you know most of my life. The top song, I'm excited to hear it um, because uh, I know Mike's got the pipes to do a little Celine because we were listening to the power of love, Celine Dion. Oh man, I thought Dead I actually air. remembered Dead the- air. <laughs> so that was one of the two CDs my dad had. He had my dad had bought a new Cadillac car, okay? And oh. it had a newfangled CD player in it, Keith. Ooh, and he had four fans. He had three CDs that I recall. Mm-hmm. Some Garth Brooks thing. Yanni uh, at the Acropolis. No, no, no. He had Garth Acropolis. Brooks. He had he John Cicada's first CD. Wow. Uh, which was a banger, and he had Celine Dion with the power of love. Um, but mm. I, I just don't have it in me to make any parody lyrics today, Keith. Well, that is uh, a uh... but I hit my chest really hard, and uh, <laughs> this is how hard I lift, bro. Um, I just injured <laughs> okay. myself. Uh huh. I did uh-huh. a Celine punch, and I I might bruise. Wait, you were <laughs> able to get all the way through that wall of muscle you've built up? <laughs> I thought you'd be impenetrable. 
Oh, well. <laughs> oh, man, I just like, I just nixed six jokes I was going to do. Okay. Uh, Keith, good would you like to know what you. else was jamming? Oh, wait, tell us the movie first. After I tell you the top movie, which continued to be Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Oh, yeah. We love you, Ace. Eek. Did not. Oh, somebody thought took last week when we made a joke about Ace Ventura, and I was like, well, at least Ace Ventura 2 was the clean one. I, we were kidding. <laughs> no, it was also no, no, terrible. No. <laughs> it's it, it's all, yes. I, I actually, I don't think I've seen all of Ace Ventura Part 2 ever. Uh, it's not great. It well, I mean, like, I, I'm I don't care about stupid. I'm fine with stupid. Like I, you know, like the the whole silliness and whatever the Jim Carrey, like the early Jim Carrey of. I don't care. I, I like great, fine. I could be in the right mood for that. I you know I just hated the transphobia. So now Keith was were we was were we always it was it always Sundays this was airing. Uh, this, it's usually Sundays that get listed on IMDb, but again, this was syndicated. Right. So it, it aired whenever the syndicated station decided to air it. Um, I think IMDb just had to like call one, mm-hmm. just call a date and make it what Sunday. other days was, I think Saturdays too, right? I, it was on Saturdays in my local area. Okay. Well, let's do a little thing here. So on Sunday, February 13th, 1994, Keith, we had some great stuff. We had a, a new show debuting on ABC that I don't remember, 8 p.m. in primetime, called Will You Marry Me? Which sounds like a precursor to the uh, Bachelor days. Yeah, or or any of the uh, terrible genre of television Mm -hmm. that began, seemed to have spawned then, Will You Marry Me? And then on CBS, Keith, we were in the Winter Olympics. Oh, no kidding. The best Olympics, I, I guess. I mean, I just loved any Olympics. In fact, there were... Back, this is a pay-per-view, so my dad would get the pay-per-view, and you get four channels of Olympics, Keith. Yes. So this, all right, so hold on. Let me just put this in, in the time frame. Was the Tonya Harding-Nancy Kerrigan Olympics, wasn't that 92? I think. And then, because they, they, the, they had the Olympics together every four years, the summer and winter. And I think this was the time that we split it, so it was 2-2-2. Two, two, two. No, this is it. This is seven weeks before the 1994 Winter Olympics is when the, the 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 thing happened. She was clubbed. But then she makes a triumphant return, and Nancy Kerrigan goes on to win the silver medal, if I recall. Oh, I know the story well. I I was I was right. Cause I, 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 folks, you might not know. I love figure skating. I'm a figure I do skating too. Dude. I, I really have always loved, and we would put our socks on on the kitchen floor, and we'd like fake skip figure skate around. So, the, yeah. uh, and it was competing against the NBA All Star Game, Keith, on NBC. Mm. That's quite wow. the. Uh, and of course, we had you know your Martin on on Fox and Living Single, Married with Children. That that all, yeah. and the George Carlin show. I forgot all about that. Uh, but that well. Saturday, Keith, if that's when it was playing for you, you had the Winter Olympics opening ceremony. Uh, it was coming from uh-huh. Lillehammer. When we were yes. there. Oh, this reminds me, makes my heart Saturdays. So there was like a thing I used to do. Sorry, this is uh, that struck me. Um, my dad and I would spend every Saturday together, Saturday evening, because, you know, he worked his ass off all week, didn't see him a lot. And then he'd be home the weekends and we would order pizza from Domino's and we would watch Cops. We got a full hour of Cops starting at eight. Cops. Then we would watch America's Most Wanted, which we loved uh, mm-hmm. together. And that was our usually our Saturday nights. So uh, yeah, that's what was on TV. Well, there it is. I uh, we also got Domino's every uh, every Saturday night at my grandparents' right. house. He, my dad would tell them that he was allergic to mushrooms, so that they didn't even like let mushrooms sniff around the pizza. Even though we, I f- he wasn't I feel allergic. 
no, I feel a hundred percent behind him on that. Like I, I feel, I feel I've never felt more connected to your father. So, <laughs> so there it is. Okay. So that's what was going on your television. Uh, what do you say? We take a look at the hard, hard news. Uh, if I load it correctly, cause I, I didn't load it, but I think I have it ready to go. Uh, yes, I do. Because folks, a woman, a Cyclops mom, has one eye in the middle of her face. Uh-huh. Uh, she's a pretty housewife. She's happily married and has an eight-year-old son. There is our Cyclops showing some really, really excellent uh, 1994 Photoshop going on there. Uh, that's funny, and it's 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 not it's not great, but that's really. That's really an impressive thing to look at. Man, they didn't so even really try. That's they just got the smudge tool and were like, "That's it." That was a big deal for them. Uh, I mean, I, well, big thing. Nineteen ninety four. I was doing MS Paint still. Well, MS Paint for sure. I don't even know if they did it digitally, honestly, because um, I, I had Adobe. I had like the, the Corel. Free did you ever have Corel Draw? I had Corel Draw at some point. My my brother did the Corel animation. Hmm. So he did some very early animation stuff. That was pretty cool. Um, and it, Photo Deluxe, Adobe Photo Deluxe is what I had in high school, uh, which is the precursor. So I did some of that work then. It, it, it wasn't good. Anyway, uh, let's talk about this, this poor episode. Uh, and uh, this episode was directed by Corey Allen who last directed Captive Pursuit all the mm. way back in season one. It was uh, it has a teleplay by Jeff King. This was Jeff's only Trek. And Richard Manning, who this is his only Deep Space Nine, but did 13 episodes of The Next Generation. And Hans Beimler, who this is the first of 26 episodes of Deep Space Nine. He wrote on including some absolute legends. This is not one of them. It has a story by Jim Trombetta, who last wrote on The Alternate, and James Crocker, who wrote on Melora. Everybody uh, loves a rusty Trombetta, Keith. And, so pro tip, uh, if you're thinking, is this going to be a great episode? If there are five people writing on it, uh, it it's not guaranteed, but it, it's, a, it's a warning sign. Mm. That's a warning sign. Uh, but... Uh, it doesn't mean that you are free from everybody's favorite segment, Trivial Trivia. Now Keith, waste your time with Trivial Trivia. Yep. Oh. Ah, thank you. Thank you. So uh, this episode, uh, Trombetta based the idea of this episode on the anti-technology philosophy of the Khmer Rouge mm-hmm. in Southeast Asia. Uh, next up, O'Brien mentions the Rutledge, which Mike, you know, the Rutledge because it was heavily featured on the wounded, Mm. the next generation episode. So we get more of O'Brien's backstory from the war, uh, which it would have been the second episode in the row in a row with a reference to that, um, when he was going to sing the song that he wasn't able to sing because of a problem. The registry number of Alex's grounded ship is BDR-529. Mike, do you know what that is? Somebody's license plate? That is the license plate of the Blues Brothers Bluesmobile. That's from the Blues Brothers movie. Easter egg. Easter egg, indeed. 
Michael Piller, showrunner, was interested in the idea of a cult uh, because he had a family member who was involved in one. Mm. So uh, <clears throat> this ended up being quite personal for him. Um, and lastly, and I, as a musician, I find this interesting. Composer Dennis McCarthy wrote music for the final speech, for Alex's final speech, Alexis, uh, based on Martin Luther's Protestant music using old church harmonies, um, which I think is, uh, it's it's very smart. And if you listen to it carefully, it's 100% right. I mean, it's the old, um, you know, old-timey uh, voice leading and music theory I learned at school. And, uh, yeah. All good stuff. So, uh, Mike, do you have any trivia from the book? I do, Keith. I think we should just take a moment for, and respect. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if there's any uh, cookies in here that uh, you didn't mention. <clears throat> mm. uh, speaking of cookie, that sounds good, doesn't it? I go for a cookie. Yep. Paradise was a strong... I have a giant bag of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, so... You lift, bro? (laughs) (laughs) I lift giant bags of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, bro. Uh, Paradise was a strong Cisco show, says Iris Stephen Bear. It was our great escape, with Cisco being Steve McQueen, the cooler king, but not giving in. In terms of what people were doing though those people on the planet the message of uh, this always seemed a little unclear keith i feel like we're going to agree with bear there i think so uh, yeah. paradise was another episode that went through many writers hands before it made it to the cameras the core idea based on uh, you talked about that um Da-da-da-da. I wanted to put these characters who have human ethics that are based on hardware into a situation where you take the hardware away and see what happens to those ethics, he says. If you have to fight a war and you have a phaser, you set the phaser on stun and knock the guy down. But suppose you only have a stick. Oh, okay. I don't really see that we no, explore it, that in any way, shape, or form. That's in no way, shape, or form in the episode. But you can you can set stick to stun. Despite the fact that the episode strayed a bit from his original vision, Trombetta is happy with the result. It's not a real action-packed thriller, he admits, but all of the philosophical ideas get expressed and enacted in a very good way, almost in the sense of an old-fashioned drama. That sounds like a guy trying to (laughs) polish up his own turd, Keith. (laughs) Yes, 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 indeed. Curiously, (laughs) it was the philosophy of the episode that seems to have caused the most problems for the on-staffed writers. It was a show that worked well, but I don't know if we ever found it, reflects Bear. We went back and forth over whether these people were doing, whether what what these people was doing was a positive or negative thing. Star Trek is such a tech show, and making these people anti-technology, it's almost like doing a ne- negative show on Greenpeace. Wow, he didn't like it. Yeah, I mean, God, that's so many thoughts. Interestingly, but- this episode precursors uh, my favorite album, OK Computer, by Radiohead, which is very anti-technology, uh, that, but that didn't come out till 97. So maybe they drew some inspiration from this uh, masterpiece, Keith. <clears throat> um After the teleplay was completed, there was a question about how dark to make the portrayal of cult leader Elixis. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, Elixis, yeah. I'm a little bit of la, 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 a little bit of Elixis. La, 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 la. Um... (laughs) I was waiting for that. Uh, You were so excited. uh Uh-huh. There's a whole wind-up to it, too. You didn't even hear the, the whole jam. Um... 
Where was I? <laughs> Should we get Mike a bigger soundboard for well, Christmas? Uh, but it was well played by Gail Strickland. Gail and I worked very hard to make that character reasonable, recalls director Corey Allen, because her motives were right thinking. She had created a paradise. She needed to preserve it through discipline. We, we set out to let her be reasonable and caring human being, and she and I agreed that she was, but we were swimming upstream. It didn't come out that way. But I think that it is to Gail's credit that in making the effort, the character came out with more human traits. <clears throat> Uh, then he talks about the uh, the music and the scoring with uh, that you you brought up. And then here's a fun tidbit: the scene in which O'Brien strips down to his shorts in order to set up the decoy with his uniform was filmed at Griffiths Park Bird Sanctuary, which may constitute hazardous working conditions, as there was an actual physical warning in the day's call sheet noting the potential presence of poison oak on the location. <laughs> Uh, according to Bayer, the mention of Jake's ever-increasing height was thrown into the script last minute to reflect what might be referred to as a technical necessity as the actor's continuous, continuous growth over the course of the series. While admitting that any other child actor would have gotten taller as the series progressed, I don't know that any other child actor would be that much taller, man, laughs Bear. Yeah, I mean, it's it's remarkable. By, by season seven, so thank you. Yeah, but I mean, by season seven, he was over eight feet tall, so it was really quite—it's uh, really quite something. That wasn't good. Okay, so what was the next generation doing? Interestingly, uh, a little bit of an overlap here. It was an episode called "Thine Own Self," in which Data's memory is wiped on a primitive planet, so he doesn't know who he is. Okay. Uh, better episode than this one. Uh, <clears throat> but also interesting that we spent a lot of time probably in Griffith Park, but probably shooting at the same time. All right. So the guest stars this episode include Juliana Nixon, who played Cassandra, who also played Lian Su on The Next Generation. Steve Vavinovich, who played Joseph, who also played a crewman on The Next Generation. Michael Buckman-Silver as Vinod. Eric Weiss as Steven. And the aforementioned Gail Strickland as Alexis. Uh, Mike, do we know, we, do we know Gail Strickland from the practice, Keith? I don't think so. The name just, I thought, I thought maybe we, well, all right. Uh, anyway, well, while we Google that. Well, well, yeah. Why don't, why don't you, uh, why don't we hop into the uh, screening room? What do you say? Sure. Sounds good. She did not do the practice, uh, but she did do David E. Kelly's uh, Chicago Hope. Okay. A little bit later. Uh, I believe she was a theater actress. I think she was a New York folk. So right. uh, I stand corrected, as as usual. Mm, mm, started working in uh, Dark Shadows in 1969. Oh, Keith, do you know? Oh, man, I don't know if I want to put this on the internet, but I'm going to. My original name that was plotted out was based on Dark Shadows. My mom was obsessed with the soap opera Dark Shadows and wanted to name me Barnabas. Barnabas? I would have been Barnaby and Deglio. Luckily, I, as the... I, as, I, go ahead. I feel like we should make that canon, Barnabas. <laughs> uh, luckily, my grandmother, my mom's mom, was in the hospital room and my mom pitched this idea and my grandmother said, that's stupid. Shut that the hell down. And the Life Serial commercial was playing. Mikey likes it. Mikey will eat anything. My grandma was like, let's call him Mikey. And that was it. Wow. That's the legend, Keith. You got rescued by your grandmother. You that sure is, uh, did. Sure did, Barney. Barney. Well, uh, that's all right. Well, my I know that we're 
I uh, uh, had I come out female, I would have been named Sarah. Hmm. All right. Which I love the name Sarah. Yeah, it could be a more religious name for a more religious guy. Sarah's not religious. Sarah's very religious. Is it? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Google. whatever. I named a character in my book series Sarah, so it all worked out. Did it? All right. Didn't work out for Sarah, did it? Because you haven't read the books. <laughs> it doesn't Sarah work goes, out for many people in those books. I skimmed. Skim. <laughs> Great. This is this is friendship. I was right here. a lot of typos. Okay, okay. No, there's not. Oh my god. I don't generally f with Keith so much, but today I'm gonna I'm come over so- there and smack you. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, All right. Uh, what are, what are we doing? Paradise. Wait, didn't we so, have pictures we were gonna look at, or are we gonna do that later? Well, you were supposed to put them up during Trivial Trivia. Oh, it was supposed to like it was during that. Yeah, doesn't oh. matter. Okay. Uh, just ha- <laughs> if if you go to Memory Alpha, you can see some of the be uh, back. Behind you could have seen scenes, some of the pictures, pictures we were just going to rip off and put on our own show. What do you think we're doing? We're basically just spending 90 minutes reading Memory Alpha. Get the hell out of here. We're doing it. Okay. So in our teaser, there it is. There's some of the uh, the artwork that they did to design the, uh, you know, the ship, the, the crest ship. And there's, you can see that was the size of the set they were working with. Uh, yeah. Well, it's pretty cool. big. You can yeah. definitely tell when you when they first the first establishing shot. I'll have a, a screenshot, but you're like, they're not seeing anything else. That's all we're gonna see. <laughs> that is clearly the entirety of that set. Oh yeah, well I mean they're we're not on a different stage. locations. Yeah. All right, right. let's it's do a this single thing. episode. There are 26 episodes this one season. Uh, couldn't build too many sets. All right, so in our teaser, Cisco and O'Brien are in the runabout surveying new star systems for colonization near the wormhole. Cisco has asked O'Brien to help train Jake in engineering in preparation for applying to Starfleet. We hear that, uh, guess what? O'Brien was a late bloomer and only discovered engineering during the Cardassian War. That's how he got the gold engineering suit. Uh, of course, when we first met him, he was an unnamed day player on Encounter at Farpoint, and he's in red, but whatever. So uh, O'Brien finds an M-class planet, but apparently... There are humans there already. They hail the planet, but no answer. There's a duenetic field there that mm. O'Brien spots right away. But our brilliant engineer doesn't think that that's going to be a problem. Spoiler alert, it's going to be. So they beam down to Griffith Park in L.A. and discover that their tricorders aren't working. Mm. Nor are their phasers or communicators. All of their electronics aren't working. Then they are accosted by literally Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. <laughs> <laughs> like with the little green pantaloons and everything. But no sl- no sleeves, at least. No sleeves. Well, you, you got to... He lifts, bro. He lifts, bro. Uh, should we call him Rambo Hood? <laughs> How long have you had that one locked mm, up? I was workshopping it last night with the patrons. <laughs> <laughs> show, show us those guns one more time, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got to lift heavy, bro. <laughs> you know, I actually have a bow and arrow in my house. You know, it's uh, my brother-in-law, Mark, who's like a, <clears throat> the antithesis of me. He's like just like a, a hunter, a, uh, a con- conservationist. Like he's just like a different type of male. And uh, he's got a, a hunting bow. And I... He was trying to have me, I don't even know, like when you pull it back and latch it or, or like, I, I don't know, string it or something like that. Um, I don't know the terms, y'all. But mm. I couldn't even, 
I couldn't even. Oh, it was a crossbow. I'm sorry. Is a crossbow. I, oh, okay. So I couldn't no even latch it. I couldn't even. I couldn't even set the bow. I, I don't even have the strength to set the goddamn bow. That's well. Frequently, they'll have a, a thing, a lever thingy to help you on a crossbow. Not, not this kind. Not for like real men. Yes. <laughs> or he was just pranking you. Very possible. He also once waited in an outhouse for like 45 minutes until I had to go pee just so he could scream at me like a mountain lion so I would scream like a girl. Mission accomplished. Great. Sounds great. Sounds it sounds like a really good relationship. No, the first time I the first time like when I was courting my wife and we went hiking, we were uh, me and Mark, uh, that's my brother-in-law, we got to the front of the pack and we were kind of like maybe a quarter mile ahead of the other people, but like I was started dating his sister and like we, you know, he's kind of a quiet guy anyway. And so there wasn't mm -hmm. Keith, it was like silence for like 90 minutes, just painful. And oh. then finally, thank goodness, he just looks over at me. He looks over at me and he goes, I like those sneaks, man. <laughs> he like <laughs> broke the ice and said he liked my sneakers. And then we were like, okay, we're cool now. So that's Mark. So you, so. It took him 90 minutes to come up with, I like your sneakers. Yeah. And in 90 minutes, you, who talks incessantly for a living, couldn't come up with anything to say? I really, I didn't know what to say, man. I just, I was trying to be respectful. Wow. <sighs> that, there it is. We've well, learned. Speaking of hiking in the woods with your bros, here we yes, go. Yes, indeed. Yeah. We begin act one. And it turns out, uh, Robin Hood's friendly. And uh, then his buddy discovers the Starfleet uniforms. They know Starfleet. And it turns out the settlers were on their way to another planet when they had to set down for repairs 10 years ago. And when they did, they found out that uh, none of their electronics worked. So they were forced to stay. And they've been stuck here the whole time. When offered a chance to escape, they say, nah, no, we're happy here. And because, uh, you know, Cisco offers them, like, we can get out of here. They arrive at a makeshift village. The guy's wife, Alexis, is the boss. I'm and a little bit. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit. La, 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 la. A little bit, Alexis. La, 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 la. You get one more. Time it well. <laughs> okay. All right. Because I was going to say, get used to the drop in that beat, buddy. <laughs> It's perfect, right? Oh. It's perfect. So perfect. Yeah. I like that show. She was cute. So good. Uh, anyway, so uh, they have lots of questions about fashion and soccer, about what's going on back at Earth. They laugh like it's funny, but it's not really. It's not funny at all. But I have to say, like I've mentioned before, I la 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 love watching background actors do their thing. And this this group of background actors is... Chef's mm. Kiss. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of this episode, you'll notice one of them prominently featured on Keith's console. Uh, he's my favorite. Shall we Shall we beam back, Keith, and take a quick peek? You can, I, can... I think we might need to. Yeah, let's go back and look. Right. Oops, wait. Shut up. Let's just look next to the... Oh, that guy. The face he makes is genius. Everybody make that face. <laughs> oh, we're going back in. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, oh, where was I? Okay, so O'Brien wants to start working on the communications so we can get the heck out of there. But Alexis says it won't work. There's some sort of deposits in the water that blocks electronics. But she's like, we're awesome at not having technology. Yeah, take your clothes off. 
And they've rebuilt it. <laughs> they've rebuilt a tech-free society. Yeah. Look at well, AJ you know, Slater, man. He's uh, you know, AC Slater. AJ Slater. <laughs> it's his brother AJ. AJ Slater. Yeah, that's canon now. Yeah. So uh when the fashion lady asks if they're going to leave when rescue comes, she says uh, they're all gonna have to make that decision. But she'll never leave. Alexis won't leave, no. but everyone gets to choose for themselves. But Alexis says, eh, stick around. All you need to do is contribute a bit, yeah. and uh, then you're welcome, uh, which is really nice and reasonable. Mm-hmm. But uh, we get the sense she expects them to be there maybe forever. So we head into Act 2. So that's all of Act 1. We just sort of have a meet and greet and then go to commercial. We, uh, we're back on the station, and Kira and Dax discover that the real Grand isn't responding to their hails. And that's it. Then we head back to the planet, and Cisco <laughs> is reading a book written by Elixis. But I love that he's crisscross applesauce, baby. He's chill, man. Yeah. It, it's so funny. Like, never has one's body been so relaxed and face not relaxed. Yeah. It's also a very small book, but he really was able to get a lot of her information. And I guess... Well, hey. the, the, there's a whole series of books. Oh, okay. It's like, you know, it's like me. I, I leave my books everywhere. I've been up all night them. reading, Keith. The Manifesto. <laughs> Uh huh. I should have written a manifesto. Then maybe you'd read it. Mm. Then uh, yeah. So so uh, yeah. So she left her books in all the guest rooms, and she's got a lot of opinions, including oh, she thinks humans. My love, my mm. dog. That's what we needed here. Was that scene? My spark. Yes, of course. But that's like a that's a spark wheel. If you, uh, I know, but it's a close up of the hands, Keith. You get the vibes. It's a different type of sparks you if you uh, if you use that wheel. Uh, yeah, she thinks humans have lost touch with their true power. Then uh, O'Brien's been looking for materials to rebuild their tech, but we found out they threw out all of the technology on their ship as junk. Uh, also, the husband dude is using a spinning wheel as we saw, on a very narrow platform about 10 feet off the ground, which does not seem safe well, whatsoever. I mean, in this primitive culture, there's no worker safety, man. <clears throat> Apparently. Uh, it, it, like the technology of a railing was too much. Keith, uh, you keep dissenting. I'm going to stick you in the box. I don't know. Box me. So uh, then he kicks off. So this is an interesting shot and i'm curious what your opinion is on this from a production standpoint because he kicks off some rocks and dust with his foot and it looks accidental but then we match it in the opposing shot and we see it rain down uh and it it there's no part of it in the huh. it's not part of the story they don't have, they don't make reference to it but they decided to keep that take and go through the trouble of you know shooting it in the opposing shot so they had to like go back up there and rain the stuff down again. I, I, I'm curious, like, was that some sort of symbolism that was lost on me? I don't think so. I would say it was probably some sort of production cover up. Like there was a sound that was screwed up, or they didn't get any like, you know, no, that's possible room noise. So they're like, well, let's just do some dirt falling and grab, you know, them. Who knows? I'd, I'd ask Jim, but he will not remember. Uh, so uh, he's too busy cashing residual checks. No, I don't think so. Really? Oh. No, I think it was all by. I don't. I, I've never actually. I don't. You know. I don't ask him like what he got, but uh, he certainly doesn't get residuals. Well, then for the do, don't ask him on in for an interview because I'll ask him. Yeah. No, well, he won't come. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, but uh, Rock Kicker has definitely bought in on the philosoph- philosophy. Then Fashion Lady comes and says that someone is sick. So let's stick some kale on her hand. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, okay. you know, it's L.A. Yeah. Kale's a superfood. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says she's got an, It's true. Got an infection from some insect. And uh, they'll be, they'd be able to cure her easily if they could get to the runabout. Just some antibiotics. That's all she really needs, but we don't have it. Antibiotics? All we need is like a laser beam it, man. Well, we don't. Well, you know, it's an antibiotic laser beam. Uh, but O'Brien, O'Brien's got a plan to track down the duenetic field. But Alexis is like, hard no. Mm. She wants them only to look for natural solutions. And she also asks them not to mention being rescued by Starfleet again. Uh, I don't want to get people's hopes up. Yeah, and then, take your clothes uh, off. And, and take your clothes off. I mean, I believe that's the first thing every cult leader says, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you uh, hungry? What do you need? Mm, yeah. yeah. Let it, arm lettuce? Uh, how, about a, how about a prostitute? What do you know? Take your clothes off. Yeah. Arm lettuce and prostitutes. I mean, that's an episode <laughs> title I'd watch. <laughs> I feel like we're nailing it. They don't need five writers. We just needed these two. <laughs> and prostitutes. All right. Well, yeah, she says give her the um. She's taken a turn. And then we head into act three. So back on the station, Dax has found the Rio Grande. Apparently the Romulans spotted it and it's been zooming off at warp empty far from the planet where they ended up. Hmm. Um, Nice of the Romulans to uh, let them know and not just steal it. Very un-Romulan like. So, so she uh, had to go turn off the duetic field, send up a signal to somebody to make the ship go cuckoo puffs, and then start the field up again? Yes, which does beg some questions, right? Like, I, I get that she could turn off the duetic field, but like how— who was she talking to? Well, she wasn't talking to anybody. Like, I, I think the idea is that she was able to, like, hack the runabout and send it remotely to zoom off into the planet where it was supposed to crash. But that, let's put a pin in it. Let's talk at wormholes. Yeah, because, like, uh, Starfleet security, that's a, that's a, that's a well, military I've, weapon. Uh, if I was even, able to, even, like. Not even before we get there, I have problems with it. But we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there. Just like, I just like, oh, let me just hack into that F-16 from my iPhone. I'm sure I can do it. I've, I've renounced all technology for decades. Let me just, like, type it into my kale here. Into <laughs> my arm kale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so later, Cisco and O'Brien are working in the fields with Robin Hood. We find out. Uh, for the first time, Mike, did we know this yet? I don't remember if we knew this, that Cisco's father was a chef. I don't remember hearing that. Uh, yeah, it's important, but I, I, I don't, I don't remember if we mentioned it before. Anyway, again, he uses the past tense about his father. Eh. And we are reminded that replicated food apparently sucks, which is a running thing in Star Trek that replicated food is never as good as real food. Um, that tracks. It, no, it, it totally tracks. Um, and we find out that Alexis didn't let her son eat replicated food even before the crash. Clue? Preparation, perhaps? Mmm. So Joseph and O'Brien chat about Keiko's forgotten botany career. Uh, because, you know, we kind of moved on from that after Next Gen. Uh... Then we see someone being released from a metal box in the field. Cisco is pissed. 
It's a punishment box. Apparently the guy stole a candle and was stuck in there for 24 hours. Mm. Alexis calls it discipline, but Cisco calls it torture. But she's all like reasonable, like, hey, torture's effective. She's tough on crime, folks. Yeah, yeah. She's uh she's like Dick Cheney. So uh Cisco- I thought the most effective part of this scene was the actor portraying the punished guy. I thought that he walked the line of like I'm indoctrinated in a cult and responding to the cult leader a certain way. And I I agreed to these rules. I broke them. I accept my punishment. He walked that line really well. So we're not, you know, even though it's, I mean, it's completely hit you over the head and on the nose from the beginning, they at least made some efforts to obfuscate what was going on here. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, obviously there's a, there's a push pull here in the writing where she's supposed to, we're supposed to feel like she's at least half reasonable. Mm -hmm. As they said in the, in, in the talking about the production of the episode, they failed miserably because she's a monster right from the very beginning. And it's in no way subtle. Um, As I want to look at her face in the screenshot, Keith, does she remind you of anybody who might have imprisoned me on a certain tour we did at once? Yes. All yes. Right. Moving Here, on. Or at least half of her. Yeah. Okay. Uh so that's that's on what? the internet. <laughs> but to, for nobody. Nobody has any idea what we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, but I've about. kept my lips zipped. So guess what? I'm putting an Easter egg. I don't care. Nobody has any idea what we're talking about. I barely know. Nobody knows what we're talking about anyway, ever. Come on. That's that's fair. That's fair. Oof. So, yeah, no, he's he looks like he's being birthed. Yeah, get some clothes on this guy. He looks like that scene from Ace Ventura. <laughs> exactly. We tie it all he's together being, here, folks. Wow, Full circle. Man, that, that is that tight, tight podcasting. That's why yep, you have boop, a Patreon. Boop, boop, boop. So, uh, Cisco pulls O'Brien aside and says, y- y- we need to contact the runabout. We need this to get the is, fuck out of here. Need to GTFO. Uh so uh, get to work on because the humidity here is not doing you any favors in the hair department. No, no, it is not. No, it is not. Uh, so uh, you remember how like his his like V was so <laughs> tight last episode. Now it's just like ah, it's gone yeah. to hell. Uh, so uh, later that night, the fashion lady walks in on Cisco washing. Alexis doesn't believe in doors, nor nor should any good cult leader. No, my dad didn't. That's true, <laughs> but he did have an iron grate, however. <laughs> it's true. He was very elixir in many ways. <laughs> well, you know, we're not all of ours. So uh, she wants to oil his muscles. And he turns her down for reasons beyond understanding. Uh, let me tell you Dude's one single. thing. Yo, Cisco lifts, bro. He lifts, bro. I mean, look, dude is single. You know, uh, we don't, it, it, she, she seems willing uh, so, uh, yeah, what's wrong, Ben, uh, me and Keith have, uh, talked about it, and here's what we think about your decision. That wasn't good. <laughs> well. That was bad. He does, of course, realize that Elixis sent her, so we want to make sure that, uh, she was of her own choice. So he goes to confront her, he's pissed, he's, uh, she says, you're displaying core behavior, he needs to get his thetans checked. Uh, yeah, a little stress test never hurt nobody. Yeah, yeah. But we find out 
that the the fashion lady did want to get into that of her own accord. So I missed opportunity, oh, sir. Ben. Uh, talk about my yeah, but he's uh, really you know, only into uh, the, the manifestations of uh, multi personality uh, projections. That's really what he's into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. So uh, instead of running back to his bedroom immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, cut to the scene. What if it was just cut to and like that that that, that cartoon sound effect that's like it's just like, he's like you're like looking dialing off the double, air for yeah. a second and like 120 frames. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> We're fucking children. <laughs> we really are. Oh goodness gracious. Uh where was I? Um he points out that Elixis has been preparing for a technology free life long before they crashed. She says that she's turning back to ancient Earth religions to explain her good fortune, uh, thus adding a religious fundamentalist overtone to this. She says that, you know what, maybe good hard work will turn them around. Yeah, and uh, take your clothes off. And take your clothes off and stand watch. Uh, watch for what? There's nobody else on this planet. Uh, did she say watch or sentinel? I, th- I remember using the word sentinel, which I thought was a cool choice. Oh, yeah, well, that's, okay, that's, she might have, I don't remember. So in Act 4. Also, great, great shot. I love when production sneaks in. Clearly she's got a candle lit, but if you look behind that curtain, it's full daytime outside. (laughs) Well, you gotta have some lights, you know, you gotta gotta see your way back to the. It's clearly a nighttime shot, but you can, it's daytime. There might be candles on both sides, you don't know. Okay, it's daytime. (laughs) So the Mm. next morning. O'Brien says he hasn't been able to figure out what the duenetic field is, but he's pretty sure it's not naturally occurring. Mm. Alexis shows up and asks if, uh, you know what, you've been working all night, but can you work your regular shift? Uh, and uh, he's eat like, yeah, Eat this fucking man. pear, too, buddy. Eat this eat the, pear. Eat the pear. Eat, eat the fruit. And the power struggle continues. We head back to the runabout, and Dax and Kira have caught up with the other runabout and try to figure out how to capture it while it's at warp. Keith, I need I need you guys to make a subtle choice, please. Mm-hmm. Subtle choice. Oh, oh, yeah. okay, great. Let's go with that. Yeah, well, he's, he's doing Wednesday Adams. Mm. So, uh, so, uh, so they're, they're, they need to capture the other runabout while it's at warp, and they forget utterly that they're perfectly capable of remote controlling it literally two episodes mm-hmm. ago. No, no, we got to do something uh, really dangerous. As was, as was Elixis apparently able to remote control it. Keith, from her, we like, have stick. to do, we have to do a tractor lasso. Come on, I know, but like, if you can control it with arm lettuce, I'm sure you have an Keith, ability. Keith, tractor to do it. lasso. Okay, try. All right, somebody had a cool idea in the writers' room. We got to get it in. Okay, so Dax lassos it with a tractor beam, uh, but not before she implies that she got into some, let's say, rope play with a member of the Hopi tribe back on Earth back in the day. Uh, I want to know more about that. Mm -hmm. Crisscross applesauce, indeed. Indeed. Then they add uh, artificial tension about the risky move, but of course it works. What if they they just killed off both of them in that (laughs) scene? (laughs) Oh, oops. I guess we shouldn't have done that. Never reference it again. Or them. Uh... So we get back to the surface, and we find out that the girl died. The but after she lettuce. said she did, she's better. But then she's like, she, yeah, uh, yeah. She's like, that oh, she's doing her, better. She's and then, better. Like, 
So that means she never was doing better. She just did that to imply that. Or, I mean, people get a little bit better, a little bit worse. But like, the kale was working, but then it rotted. And so then she died. Yeah. So arm lettuce, not the cure to a bug bite. Uh, Yeah. You you think about like, oh, frontier, whatever. Like, eh, you die from really. You have died of dysentery. Yeah. So, uh, and Alexis caught O'Brien trying to activate his devices and she's pissed and cue the cult leader speech. So uh, her solution to this is not to put O'Brien in the box, but to put Cisco in the hot box as punishment because he was the commanding officer. Avery Brooks does a very good exhausted pissed eye twitch, which I certainly, like, if I'm super tired and super stressed, I do get the eye twitch, mm-hmm, and, he, me too. and he does that. I it, think it was really well It's done. also uh, a high sign of dehydration, which I think fits as well. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there it is. This is the best here, hold my hoe, I've ever seen. <laughs> you rejected my hoe last night. All right, so... I brought my own. <laughs> I brought my own. Uh... So I wrote, Uncle Jim does excellent sound work, making metallic clank mm-hmm. to what is a very clearly a plastic locking mechanism. Uh, and we begin Act 5. Back on the runabouts, they discover that all the memory banks have been erased. They re- So not only with her arm lettuce was she able to fly the ship, she was able to erase w- the, the memory banks on the runabout, which is a military well, ship. I have, I have, I offer a solution in a moment. I got to get to the screenshot, but then we'll we'll talk. <clears throat> we'll see. Can Mike can Mike fix it? No, but I have a I have a I'll 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 put forward a possible. You solution. will posit something. Yes. Okay. Uh, Navigation yes. scan four fifty one, Keith. We know the exact scan. We do. Yeah. Uh, so they Which discover, you probably couldn't have seen in the original episode. I think this was aided not, by AI upscale. For sure. Um, but they, uh, they realize uh, from this that uh, they actually had attempted to destroy the ship but screwed up. And hmm. this is what gives them a pathway back to the planet because they're able to track the trajectory of the ship. So on the planet, Cisco gets out of the hot box and he is in rough shape. Alexis does more speechifying, and she's really hung up on him losing the uniform. Go ahead. She wants why, don't to you, get... why, don't you, why don't you go and have him take off your shirt? I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit. La, 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 la. A little bit, Alexis. La, 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 la. Wow, folks. Uh... <laughs> I hurt my I, back. I hurt what my back you're watching <laughs> is a tiny version of Mike doing that. I have him full screen here. And Mike popping his little Philly hat. It's really something. You know, Keith, I didn't know how this was going to go today, but I'm having one hell of a time. <laughs> God. That wasn't Ooh. good. <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm gonna go see K-pop on Broadway tonight. Oh, you better get those uh, moves. Watch it back, Keith, when I post it tonight. Watch yeah, it back yeah, and I'll, get it. Gotta, I'll get the moves. Okay, get the get no, the get I'm the hurt, body roll. It hurts my back. <laughs> I mean, is is it hard to do that that rolling motion through all those muscles? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, I'm gonna need the Theragun. <laughs> True. Uh, <laughs> so Alexis does more speechifying, and she's really hung up on the uniform. I said that. Uh, 
and he can't have any water until he changes, gets out of those clothes. Obey me. Cisco instead stumbles outside in his uniform and walks himself back to the box. Uh, big time power struggle happening here. <laughs> Look, it it looks better on screen than a dozen uh-huh. screenshots. Uh-huh. Okay, it was a great. Uh, I thought it was a great camera device to shoot from inside the box as he's stumbling. Yeah, no, super cool. I mean, you know, and there's obviously plenty of like subtextual overtones to this whole thing, which are probably more powerful than they intended. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think they intended to make a lot of parallels to uh American history and what those boxes were originally used for. Uh but I feel like Avery Brooks certainly was. Um but uh yeah, it was that that was always the part that stuck out to me about this episode was like the 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 historical subtext of that which is unintentional but very strong. Well, it's also you know, if we got into it, it's it's an really interesting, and the the episode shies away from this, I think. But for me, what works is the juxtaposition of leadership by fear and mm-hmm. discipline versus leadership by example and symbolism, which is what uh, totally. I think Cisco represents here. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's you know, and again, that's where I think they lost their way with. Alexis's character, if they were trying to make us feel that some part of this made sense, some part of this was reasonable, that, that she was, you know, that she was a reasonable person behaving in unreasonable ways, like it, it we lost track of that because her, and, and, and this is, I don't know, I should talk about this at the end, but I think like from a writing standpoint, right, if you're going to have your bad guy be a good bad guy. A, they can't know that they're the bad guy. They have to think that they're the good guy. But that their logic has to make sense, even at least internally within what they're trying to achieve. And where she she goes from like extreme uh, having an, having a, a, an extreme belief taken to the furthest extent to cult leader is the breakdown in the logic, being obsessed with the symbolism and not the thing. So she's obsessed with the uniform. She's mm-hmm. obsessed with not letting people think about leaving, not with convincing him that this is a better way to live. And that, you know, the, here are the benefits of living this way. Here's why it's great. Here's why technology doesn't help you. Here's why technology... No, she's obsessed with the symbolism and power and control. So therefore, her own internal logic doesn't hold... So therefore, she can't be that half good, ha- that, that gray figure that they were trying to write. Uh, well, also because, because of- you can't be. Well, I mean, I guess you can make an argument for this, but it's hard to to fully be one hundred percent behind your convictions when you know that a huge portion of them, if not all of them, are based in a deceit. Right. You, you know what I mean. So um, and right, that's- and and she she's she's fundamentally hypocritical. Mm-hmm. Because she is using technology to her advantage, and nobody else can. And I, and and if if I were in the writers' room and they wanted to, like, let's fix this and try to do what we try, you know, what we intended to do, you have to make the internal logic. You have to make her less of a hypocrite. You have to make her internal her her focus. The focus of her control has to be on the thing that she's advocating for, not on control itself. Anyway. Or in that backstory where she talks about her her preparation prior to coming, there needs to be like a reason, 
right? Like a, something she's running from or a reason why she decided to eschew what was mm. seems like a very promising engineering career or scientific career. She's invented all this shit uh, yeah, to throw that or, away in order to come yeah, and establish this. No, for sure. And like, I might like, I might write her a tragic backstory where like technology killed her husband for some mm -hmm. reason. Like she was really well, yeah, because it, and then there were consequences. It seems like they're hedging towards, we want to make her like, we don't know. She's a, she's a she's she's the worst kind of bad guy bad guy who believes her her own ish but they they don't really do that this is actually one of those cases where we would i would have liked less uh nuance and more just like make her foaming at the mouth frothing villain because i think that's a better foil in this episode for our our guys i i, I think either way i mm -hmm. think the only i think they lost their way by not really picking a lane. Yeah. Sure, and so therefore, sure right. neither one of them were effective. Actually, I think that's you're correct. Uh, so later, O'Brien is uh, making sparks with rocks because that'll make the computer work. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think they just like thought it was a cool transition. Look, look, well, I mean, uh, well, you see this lot in Star Trek where they're able to like fashion a force field out of like a like MacGyver, instead of making a you know a, a, a paper clip and a wad of gum explode, a, like a, a, a truck, they're like, oh, we're gonna make a force field out of this. Uh, but whatever. Uh, so uh, oh, uh, Joseph shows up, and O'Brien asks him for help, and he's like, I agree to be knocked out so O'Brien <laughs> can leave without being spotted. It could have just pretended to be knocked out and look the other way, like. Why do you have to get, yeah, why do you have to get your ass kicked? Even if it doesn't hurt, even if you can do like the, the, whatever, the, 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 the punch, the no pain punch, uh, why don't you just like say, why don't we call it good? Why don't we just say like, uh, just one, we just walk out and, this and scene say from I didn't top walk to into bottom this room. is absolutely ridiculous. Every, it is a nonsensical, nothing, no, there's no logic, uh, but we get the point. We need to go, we're going on an adventure with O'Brien. He's got he's got to go. He's got to find the duonetic field. And O'Brien has concocted a makeshift compass that will lead him to the that source. That totally doesn't look like a dick. Not at all like a dick. I don't know what your dick looks like, but is it like some sort of a gourd? Is your compass happy to see me? Uh, I, oh, this this gave me the the little uh, the compass in the water, which is like a real thing. Um Gave me vibes of the Ewok adventure. Yeah. Well, I, I was getting Ewok adventure from the establishing shot on the planet. Oh, that, that first one, the first one scared me so much when I was little. Uh, so good. Anyway, um, TV movie Ewoks. If you haven't seen it, kids, if you're, you know, not old like us, you should go see them. They're really interesting. Man, they were like, get that compass and somebody built that. Get it in every shot. Wicked. Uh... So he, uh, he, this compass is going to lead him to the source, and he finds, of course, an electronic device causing the field. So Keith, here's it. Maybe it's not an electronic device only controlling the field. Perhaps it's an entire computer from which one could do all kinds of nefarious business, like well, no, remote controlling a runabout and. No, 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 for sure. And like, obviously, she has her technology hidden away. If it's not this, she's got another computer somewhere that she's able to do that with. My question is, how does this civilian settler have the ability to remote control a Federation runner? Yeah, I'm with you. It's ridiculous. But 
a better question for me is Is there password password no it's kale um <laughs> do does does aj slater does he know about what she's up to or is he just she said defend the kate or follow him you know what i mean because i feel like he i can tell by his shirt this guy doesn't keep a good secret <laughs> yeah i think he's in on it mm, interesting uh i i do i think he's the only other one who knows what's going on um but it's not necessarily clear, but Robin Hood shoots an arrow at O'Brien, and the chase is on. Uh, O'Brien, of course, is able to outsmart him by uh, putting up a dummy version of his uniform. We get to see him in his shorts. I mean, like, O'Brien's showing a lot of skin this, this they, season. They love to throw him. That must be an inside thing. They love to put him they, in some They know what up. sells. Yeah. They know what sells. Uh, he outsmarts him and knocks him out. They return to the settlement, and O'Brien's like, I got a big gun, and it works, and I'm the captain now. Speaking of big guns, AJ. Woof. So Alexis explains that uh, she got rid of the runabout, and she orchestrated the entire crash landing uh, all those years ago. Fashion lady is pissed. Alexis doubles down and gives a speech that basically says, you're welcome, losers. Cisco reminds her that she let a bunch of people die, uh, including that lady. The arm list did not help. She says, look, casualties are part of it. Yeah, I'd have let AJ die. I would have let my son die, which is, uh, you know, pretty hardcore. And you'd think Joseph would, like, be pissed for a second, but, like, no. He's like, no, I'm good. No, we're all good. Uh, Everyone's like, we're all good. And she's like, you could have had this. I know. Oh. A, you still can have this. I, I see. I have uh, I have regrets for poor Cisco. Cisco, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So then Kira calls, and O'Brien offers them all a ride home. No. This is it. The reveal. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if I just found out that the past ten years, I found I found out that I was sweating on this uh, pe- planet and could have been in my like air conditioned uh, space home, I'd probably make this face too. Uh huh. Yeah, boy. Uh, there, there's a lot of faces. She's given a, a, like a reasonable face, and everybody else is just crazy talk. Well, Bruce Willis over there. Bruce Willis. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I've wandered onto the set. I'm, they, at, I'm at Paramount. Two of these people made the same choice. The other two made very different choices. Very strong other choices. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this so, guy's uh, like auditioning for Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to get murdered with that arrow. So uh, O'Brien offers them all a ride home, but Joseph wants to stay. They're like, we like our cult. So uh, then Cisco takes Elixis and Robin Hood back, leaving the rest with Joseph. And then uh, these two kids just, like, stare at the prison? Well, that was the thing. Like, we leave with a shot of a little boy and a little girl staring at the hot box. They're... I, we don't. I don't quite know what we're trying to say there. Well, yeah, because the the ending. Okay, so. Okay, I almost respect that. Bad guys, like if I ever get caught, I am going to gladly accept my punishment, because uh, right. I and because that will show to my followers that I did what I thought was right, right? That I that I stand by the sacrifices and everything I did. I'll accept the consequences, but I still believe it was right. Okay, uh, okay, you can you can tell me on that, but. If 
the followers, like Joseph's speech wasn't like, we condemn you and everything you did, take her away, because he didn't. they didn't put up a fight that they were gonna take her off to face no. consequences. But he's like, we're gonna stay, this is a paradise, we've created a community. But you've created, but we don't, there's no acknowledgement that you created a community based on lies and torture in some yeah. ways. Like, I, I respect that you like the people you live with and you've created this home and you want to stay there. You could sell me that, but that's not what's communicated in, in the little monologue he has. No, or the hypocrisy. And then they her. just like, and then they go back to their business and the this shot gives me the impression that they're going to live by the same rules. They're going to continue the yeah. torture and this and that. It, so, so there is, so then what was the episode say? Like where there is no journey. Well, I don't think they knew. I don't think they had any yeah. idea what the episode was trying to say. But like, like, I feel like this shot now. Had they just had they had they just gone off and they're all like smiling and they're like, or the kids go pick fruit, or maybe they we see them throwing the box over a ledge or something. Like they're going to stay in their community and and move forward and progress. Cool, actually, maybe at least. But this is unsatisfying. Well, I I think that uh, you know go 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 one more further so we can see the like the kids there. I think maybe. There's a couple things that I thought about with these kids. A, some of the consequences of this sort of thing that happened in is breathing. These, well, that, that too. But these kids have never known a life outside of their compound. Yeah. So all the rest of them have have sort of an informed decision about whether to return to the regular world or stay in the cult. These kids don't have that choice. Um, you know, A, it's going to be made for them by their parents, but also they they don't know a life other than it. And so they're staring at the future of the box, I guess. I mean, I uh, guess the, it, it, Joseph does give the implication that they're going to keep the fields down and they're going to have, they're going to establish communication. Or no, he says, I don't know if we're going to, right? Right, right. They're going to, they're going to decide, <laughs> like, he's going to be the new cult leader, I guess. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't think they had any idea what they wanted to say. Uh, but it was an interesting setup. They just forgot to write an episode. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let us do our vocab quiz, Mike. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek vocabulary quiz. Mike, I need to know, what is a duenetic field? Keith, that is a type force field that apparently blocks out all... Uh, electronic communication. So, so basically what they should be putting in Broadway theaters. Mm, mm, except for none of the lights or microphones. Yeah, work. good point. That could be a problem. But uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, your next one, it's related. Mike, what's an astatin deposit? Keith, that's like some sort of vegetative poop that when put in the water could potentially cause a duenetic field. Mm, well played, sir. All right. Shall we come along home? Keith, I thought you'd never ask. Okay, here we are back in Quark's. Tip back your now very cold coffee yeah. and let us discuss paradise. So, uh, Mike, we've already begun, but let's continue the wormholes in the plot. Yeah, well, I mean, th there's the one scientific wormhole, right, which we've already started to communicate about, and that's 
forget the why. All right, let's not even, we'll get it. Like, how did she, she invented this technology, so I buy that it can cease communication and block everything on the planet. But like, then how can she reverse that silently and break, and it break through, not just break through the security on the runabout, but like remote control it, send it into warp, and then cover your tracks? Well, I think part one of that is easy, right? If she turns off the field blocking technology, they don't have any technology. Yeah. So there's nothing for anybody to notice. Okay. Um, but the I, I think the wormhole is how she was able to remotely pilot a runabout from her box. Yeah. Um, and then also, like, it, whatever. Yes, that. It's that. I mean, it's... It's they're pretty primitive in there, and the you know as as like because O'Brien and those guys they couldn't they couldn't trace them at all. Although it did say they it picked up human life forms. It did say that in the beginning. Well, because in orbit, it's you know the 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 field only affects the valley that they're in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect what's in orbit. So everything's working perfectly well until you get within the range of the field. And then I guess the other wormhole for me is a plot wormhole. And it's and it's a big one because it's like thematic. So I know he's reading her manifestos, but if she's if she's created a technology that needs to be implemented in order to sequester a group of people from the evil of technology, the basic hypocrisy of that raises my wormhole question of like, what does she want exactly? Like what? Well. <sighs> I think that I guess that's like saying let's use a nuclear bomb to blow up all the nuclear bombs so there's no more nuclear bombs. Kind of. Okay. Yeah, I mean like I I think she's she she wanted I think based, based on her behavior and based on her um all of her internal hypocrisy and her willingness to use technology when it benefits her. I don't I think her being anti-technology is a feint. I think the reality is she, she wants wanted to live in she she wanted to be in control of these people and she wanted to live this sort of primitive lifestyle. And her justification for that was anti-technology, but it didn't it didn't hold. She didn't really believe it. It was just her justification um, to set up this lifestyle that she wanted to have. A puritanical um, leader bad guy is actually a pretty cool idea. Like, I, w- I sure. kind of want to know more about the 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 pre-beat, right? Like, did she handpick these people for the expedition where they were going for? Or was it kind of just like a, a collection that she was she she could, you know, she knew she was bringing her son and Joseph, but like maybe didn't know the other people? I don't, I don't know. I Yeah, I mean, I feel like she probably did because she planned for this well in advance. Yeah. Right. She was, uh, you know, she was obviously working on this for a long time. So why wouldn't she select a group of people who would be susceptible to this? But I, but you know, honestly, I think thinking about it that way does fix a little bit of mm-hmm. the internal logic wormhole because her her anti technology thing was just a feint. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just a classic cult leader who wanted to have that control wanted to live this life wanted to remove all the doors you know what i mean um and so therefore she's not being hypocritical to her own motivations if 
the anti-technology thing is a lie. Mm-hmm. If that's not really what her deal is. Um, but of course, you know, from the standpoint of the episode, uh, uh, the intent of the episode, which clearly the intent was, you know, this is a perfectly logical, reasonable way to live. And maybe they've got a point. But that's not in any way, shape, or form what ended up on screen, mm-hmm. um, I think, because of this. So, uh, yeah, I think those are my wormholes. Uh, Mike, what was your favorite moment? Uh, I've got two, Keith. I'm going to sneak in. One Ooh. is because, as I mentioned, and we we talked about it, so I won't overdo it. Uh, I love extras. I love seeing mm-hmm. them make choices, especially when they get full shot. And they, there was a lot of beats here for them to play. And there's pretty uniformly excellent, I thought, actually, the, the extras who made some bold choices, even in the, in the face of some schlocky dialogue. And, of course, you get your one who's just like, <laughs> there's nothing you do. He's in the center of the shot. So they're like, we got to use this. And they, I can't believe no one on set was like, do you have anything else? Like that was the that was <laughs> the that was the best they had uh, in their in their ed, in, in their dailies. Um, uh, two, you know, I was thinking during the episode. You know, my logic was different in the beginning than Cisco's. It was clear to me that he and O'Brien were going to try to uncover what was going on, and I always opt apt for. And this is how I play video games too. I love a stealthy approach, right? I don't go in guns blazing. I like a stealthy approach. So I kept expecting Ben eventually to, and I thought it was after the hotbox to do the costume play change, along. play yeah. along, buy some time, which I would have thought was good. But and that's where we come up to a favorite moment. I think we learn a lot about Ben. Mm. From his decision to be like, fuck no, I'm going to show these people that you can mm. oppose this and you can be strong willed and you don't have to bend, even though it may not be the most strategically adva- advantageous choice to make. Uh, and also, despite his coolness, he can get a little hot headed. You know, he can get a little uh, combative um, as he does. Also, he should have banged that lady, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, yeah, well, those I- are my two favorite moments. I, and I, I think both of those, I, I think you're 100% right. I don't think I'd even necessarily clock that. But y- yes, this episode really is about showing Cisco's internal integrity mm-hmm. and the sacrifices he's willing to make to show the leadership of his integrity. And and part of that is not playing along. Also, right, at whatever cost. Listen, Deep Space Nine, all of you, top to bottom. If you're going to beam down to a planet, before you do so, tell somebody where you're going. It's just classic teenager logic. Tell your parents where you're going to be. Phone call first. Throw a text. Also, uh, super engineer O'Brien, you should know what a duonetic field does, right? Yeah, Keith, that's why he was sparking off rocks. Yeah, but like he knew about the field before they beamed down. Mm. And then was like, why doesn't my thing work? Oh, that's a wormhole, actually. All right. Yeah, it's a uh, wormhole. But what's your favorite moment, Keith? Um, my favorite moment is the production thing. My favorite moment is him knocking the rocks and the and the and the sand off of the platform. And it, it's just a little visual detail that if if it was unintentional and then they decided to, you know, keep it in and reshoot it from the other angle, I like that choice. You have a little happenstance, adds a little bit of detail and life to it and something visual to look at. That's cool. Uh, good improvisation. If it was intentional, 
it's it's cool too for mm-hmm. for exactly the same reason. Um, so because uh, I don't think the episode had a lot of real strong moments, I just like that little little production choice mm-hmm. made there to make my eyeballs a little bit more interested. All right. So there it is. Let's hand out some self-stealing symbols. It just didn't. Uh, fundamentally, this episode didn't know what it was trying to say. And you yeah. know, we've read about it. We've talked about it. Clearly, there was a bunch of writers. They kept trying to like polish it up, and they couldn't. F- I think Ira said it best when she says, "We I don't think we found it." And and that's that. You know, I think a lot of times these rewrites, most of the time, these rewrites are happening as productions already started. So you've already, yeah. you can only fix certain things and you try to adjust course and sometimes you're just not nailing it. And they, they nail it and they know it. And that's, they know it. It's in the no, book. They 100% you know what I mean? Know uh, it's not like not a good. tidbit that leaked out. It's, it's in the book. He said it in yeah. the interview. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Um, I think the, what the, the, the redeeming factors are that I think Ben, it's a good episode for Ben. I, I like some of the choices he makes, not all the choices he makes, uh, but he makes them. Uh, O'Brien is not shown in his strongest suit here, uh, and there's just some. He's shown in his birthday suit. Yeah, here. there's some just batshit logic lapses. That whole scene in the cave where he's starting a fire and then he knocks a guy out for no reason. Even the Joseph, if Joseph plays it at the end, like he would have stood up for Alexis. Uh, it does, there's not a lot of nobody's motivations are particularly clear. Even the big bad, which is not good, and worst of all, the ending seems to like lead you to believe sort of undoes everything which is a, which is a unique type of endings for a star trek episode which usually likes to lead use science fiction as fodder for hope rather than sort of a dark twist which is what i felt at the end of this episode i didn't like it keith if i'm getting if we don't just like we want to get down to it yeah um yeah. I would say that it verges on bad, in fact. And then, like, all the Dax and Kira stuff is just, like, not there's it's, there's not even an interesting uh, so, f- puzzle to solve for them to and, like, find. Literally, them. nobody else is even in the episode. Yeah. Like, like, Bashir's not in the episode. Oda's not in the episode. Quark's not in the episode. And then the science that they use to puzzle solve, it relies on, A, a batshit lasso thing that makes zero sense and is unnecessary. And also, it relied on the bad guy making a mistake— so that they could find them instead of them coming up with a creative scientific solution to find the good guys. Yeah. Uh, bad all along. Uh, Mike says uh, 48 self-sealing stem bolts. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. This episode is – I have always hated this episode with a fiery passion when I was young. Right? I think older – I don't hate it as much because I found it so boring and so pointless and, and like annoying. Everyone was annoying. Um, and I, all of that is still true. I think as an adult, I appreciate it a little bit more um, because I see some of the ideas they were trying to play with. So I give it a little bit of credit for um, if you pitch me, you know, the two sentence pitch of this episode I'm like, oh, okay, great. Yeah, yeah, you can totally make a great episode about that. Um, the execution really lets them down. I think every Brooks does a really good job in this episode. Um, you know, again, I feel like they have given him such bad material this season. 
so far. It's like you you have Avery Brooks and the episodes where he is the star of it. It's it's this one and it's Second Sight mm-hmm. with the uh, with like the you know the imaginary woman thing, and it's just like those are the showcase episodes you're going to give Cisco your captain your you know Avery Brooks like come on give him some better material. Um, so I think in in reexamining this as an adult as opposed to like a bored teenager. It's a little bit better, but it's still not good. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it 51 self-sealing stem bolts. So we're, we're pretty close on this one. Uh, so yeah, so there it is. That is Paradise. Next up is the episode Shadow Play. So that one will be interesting to talk about. Uh, we spend some more time on a random planet. And uh, yeah, so there it is. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, if you are listening to this on the podcast version, the audio-only version, uh, do us a favor. Leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting service you are watching this on. Uh, that really helps people find the the audio version of this, which uh, there are actually a fair amount of people listening to the audio version of this. Uh, so uh, help others find this. Um, other than that, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash K&M. Get all sorts of fun bonus stuff. We'll be back on Saturday with another episode of Look at My Star Trek Toys. Also, check out K&M Geekly every Monday. And we'll be back here again on Wednesday with Deep Space Nine Shadow Play. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit of la 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 la. A little bit of Lexus. La la.